0: Welcome to the Bradleyville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We are located at 25861 State Highway 76 in Bradleyville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. with worship to follow at 10.30 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now enjoy our lesson. When when I bring up the, the topic of the grace of God... What well, comes to your mind? You know sometimes when we when we think about the grace of God, we think about it as being first of all, it's it's often sometimes it can be so magnificent that it's hard to put into words. It's hard to really capture what we mean uh, or even what we feel when we think about the idea of the grace of God. But uh, there are passages in the scriptures that help break God's grace down in a way that we can make it practical in our lives? How can we make God's grace practical in our lives on a daily basis? And so when we study God's Word, I want to challenge you to find those passages that make God's grace approachable. Not that that we're trying to diminish God's grace, because you can't diminish His grace, right? It's it's bigger than, as we're going to see in Romans chapter 6, it's bigger than, than sin. It's bigger than anything that we can ca- try to comprehend. So we can't diminish it, but how can we make it approachable from a standpoint that we can make it practical in our lives on a daily basis? How can we live graceful lives? How can we live lives that are infused with grace? And how can we share that grace with others? And so we're going to focus on Titus chapter 2. If you want to open up your Bibles to Titus and just leave it there open on your lap, we're going to kind of walk through this passage and we're going to see what Paul teaches us about God's grace and how we can make it practical in our lives. I love this passage. Again, if you're looking for a passage to memorize, I think I gave you one last week, but uh, we've, we've been working on Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Uh, I would encourage you to memorize at least the, the heart of 1 John chapter 1. This is another passage. I would encourage you to, to, to try to write to, to commit to memory. Because it speaks to us about what God's grace does for us. And how God's grace can be practical in our lives. So let's begin here. Titus chapter 2 beginning in verse 11. William read this for us. But I want to read through it again. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, We should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope. And glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Now, those of you who have been a part of this congregation back to the point in time before we had these monitors and whenever I would pass out the bulletin, you remember the bulletin? If you ever paid attention to that at the very top, that was the phrase that was at the top, his own special people, Zealous for good works. You may not have known this, but that's who you are. That's who Christians are. We are his own special people, and we are to be zealous for good works. Now, if you think through this this picture of grace here, Paul's going to give us, first off, he's going to explain to us the scope of God's grace. And then he's going to talk about how God's grace teaches us and how God's grace gives us hope and how God's grace then reminds us of certain things. That's kind of the outline of where we're going. But let's begin first by looking at the grace of God in itself. What, if I were to ask you to define God's grace, what would you say? Well, most times we hear what? Unmerited favor, right? It's a gift that we can never repay. And from a certain perspective, it is then what what God has done to allow us to know him and to... Believe in him and to obey him, right? The entirety of God's plan to reconcile man to himself. And you think back to what we've been talking about in class. And to reconcile then bears with it the the necessity then that we have been separated from God, right? God's grace then is that, that plan in which God would reconcile, bring me back into a right relationship with him. Bring me, make me whole with him again. Turn over, hold your finger in Titus chapter, chapter 2. Let's turn over to Romans. And this is a passage that you're very familiar with. We used it in, in a sermon not too long ago. But I want to remind you again of what this plan looked like. What did God do to reconcile me to him? And there's, there's several different passages we can look at, but I just want to read through Romans chapter Five and remind you of what God was doing whenever He was, whenever He was putting His grace into action. Romans chapter five, beginning of verse six. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And you just stop right there, right? That's the that's that is really the summary of God's grace. When we were without strength, at the right time, in due time, Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come in the flesh. He died for the who? Ungodly. He died for me, right? When we, that's how, that's how Paul starts that section. And so when we think about God's grace, what we are, what we're really encapsulating here is the, the plan of salvation that God put into place before the foundation of the world to save mankind through Jesus Christ. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Listen to verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God... Through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And he's going to go on then to talk about how how through one man sin entered the world that through Adam and the transgression that that happened at the beginning, that sin came into the world and that death spread to all mankind because all sin fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And I'm kind of cutting to the chaser because this is a long read, but I want you to catch here the fact that God used the gospel, he uses his grace to to reconcile us to. Them. That's the best way to say it. Look, just just for the sake of time, let's go down to verse 18. Therefore as through one man's offense judgment came to all, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many were, will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In that one passage, Paul is describing how that God's grace abounds and abounds and abounds abundantly and magnificently more than the sin that man can commit. That's God's grace in a nutshell. It's the it's the the uh, the the gift that God gave and gives to mankind to restore mankind to Him. You notice here in First Peter chapter one verse twenty. I've got on the screen. This was a plan that God put in place before the foundation of the world. He says He was indeed. This is Christ. He was indeed ordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. God knew before He created. God knew that mankind would sin and that mankind would need a Redeemer and that mankind would need His grace. And so God put this plan into place before the foundation of the world. And so He he foreordained Christ before He even made Adam. And so Paul says in in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, he says, "...for the grace of God that brings salvation." Now that then reminds us of the fact that salvation is only found in the grace of God, or by the grace of God, but we're in particular. Now we've already noted that it's in the death of Jesus Christ, but you remember what Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, and if I was asking you to quote it, you could probably quote it to me, right? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Therein the gospel is where God invested his power of salvation. The power that God has to save mankind is put into the gospel. And that is the great news of God's grace that brings salvation. So when we think about the grace of God, it's it's that wonderful gift that brings salvation from sin, deliverance from condemnation, that when we stand in the judgment and we give an account of ourselves to God... Is through the blood of Jesus Christ that that God will say, "You're forgiven." Come, ye blessed of the Father, enter into the kingdom, enter into the glories of your Lord. That's what we see here in the picture of the grace of God. And he says here, Paul says in Titus chapter eleven verse one, that it has appeared to all men. Now that's important because we may be tempted to think. That they're because people have not heard the gospel, that it's they're not subject to it. But but Paul makes the point that God's grace has appeared to all men. It's 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 inexcusable that people would not be aware of God's grace. Think about John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His own because we have a responsibility to take that message out to the world. We have a responsibility to do that. We have an opportunity to do that and so consequently no one is exempt from god's grace there's not a single person who's going to be cut out of god's grace that they that, that, that is exempted from it but no one is excused from it either that's important for us to remember as well there's nobody that's going to stand in the judgment day and say i didn't know god i had i was not i was not aware and there be a legitimate excuse in that Puts a lot of power then. It It puts a lot of emphasis, puts a lot of importance on the grace of God. And, Christian, it should put a lot of responsibility on our on our shoulders to take the gospel and to share it with others. To help proclaim that to them so they are aware and have opportunity to be responsive to it. Well then Paul progresses into verse 12 and he says that God's grace does something. God's grace teaches. This is important. What is teaching? What does that process look like? Well, anybody who's taught knows that there's, there is a, there's, a, there's a, a, a declaration of, of facts, right? A statement of truth. And there is a reception, right? It's a, it's a two-way street. But God's grace here, God's grace teaches us certain things. His, His grace teaches us the things that we need to know in order to be pleasing to him. And in particular, it teaches us, first off, to deny ourselves. He says in particular that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lust. What is ungodliness? We don't use that a lot in our vocabulary today, but I think we all know the gist of what that means, right? God is at the root of the word. Godly means to be like God. Ungodly means to act in opposition to God, right? And so ungodliness is action or lifestyle that is opposition to to God. In essence, it means irreverence towards God. I have no respect for God. I'm not going to be obedient to him. I'm not going to fall after him. That's what ungodliness speaks to. And so in Romans chapter one, after verses 16 and 17, we get into chapter chapter one, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and the righteousness. And he's going to go down through that. and he's going to describe what ungodliness looks like. He's going to talk about the fact that men have, have failed to worship God. Verse 21 says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. If you look at society today, this is a sad truth, but by and large you can classify a lot of what's going on in our society as ungodly. Because people refuse to glorify God. They refuse to give him the respect and the reverence that is due him as the creator of the universe. And so God's grace teaches us that we are to deny that. We are to turn away from that. We're we're to to make efforts to not act in an ungodly way. But we're also not to act in a way that would be called worldly lust. What is lust? It's that inordinate desire for something, particularly something that I may not have a right to, but in particular relate to the world, it's a desire for the things of the world. You might call it materialism, right? Or, or a pursuit of things that aren't, that aren't lasting, that aren't real in, in, in terms of it, it, eternal. They have, no, they have no value beyond this life. And uh, I've got to take the slide off there before you guys can see the next line, right? Galatians chapter 5, you don't have to turn over there. I'm going to turn over there and read it because it's too big to put on the screen. But I want to remind you of things that could be referred to as either ungodly or desirous of world. This is is the list that Paul gives in the works of the flesh. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. How would adultery be considered a worldly lust, right? It's desirous of somebody who I do not have a right to. Somebody who is either not that that is married to somebody else but not married to me. So he says, adultery, fornication, there again, a sexual immorality that, that exists outside of the bounds of marriage. My desire for a person that I don't have a right to. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness and lewdness. That's a desire to act in a way that might entice somebody else to sin idolatry, the worship of something other than God, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see wrapped up in this the idea that people act in a way that is contrary to God. Um, and so in, in, if we are to give these things up, then what do we replace them with? And God's grace teaches us that we are to pursue certain things. We should live in a certain way. And so the, he says there in verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. Soberly means to think about things from, from a proper perspective and in particular to restrain our thoughts. Everybody ever had to restrain your thoughts before? Sometimes it's a challenge to restrain our tongues, right? But it can be an even greater challenge to restrain our thoughts, to, to bring our thoughts into subjection. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 speaks about the, the, the struggle that we should have as that we have sometimes as Christians, but the fight that we put up to keep our thoughts under, uh, under control. Paul talks about this as a, as a, as a, um, as a fighter might or, or a runner might have. Um, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, listen to what he says Therefore I run, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. And this is where sobriety enters in. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. We have to train ourselves to think about things in a restrained way, in a sober way, to think about things from a proper perspective and modesty. We have to be people who seek after righteousness, that is the pursuit of justice, of things that are right, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning verse 34, Paul says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. I love the way he says that. Awake to righteousness as though we are slumbering in sin. We're asleep. We're in darkness. And when the light comes, we, come, we, we wake up. When the sun rises, we need to wake up. And that's essentially what Paul's talking about here when we pursue righteousness. We have to see things as they are and pursue them as though we live in the light. And finally, we have to do things that are reverent. I love this passage from Micah chapter 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with, a thousand, with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? If you were to boil down godliness, I would put it this way. It's to walk with God walk in unison with God, to walk in harmony with God, to walk in um, the same cadence as he does, and in the same direction, and headed toward the same destination. That's what godliness looks like. And Paul says, then we should do this when? He says, in this present age, which means literally, in the time in which we're living. Has Anybody ever experienced this, or maybe you've been around somebody who says, you know what, I'll I'll become a Christian, but I'll do it tomorrow. Or I'll do it next week. Or as as Agrippa told, told Paul, he said, I'll wait for a more convenient season, right? When does God's grace teach us to live soberly and righteously and godly? In this present age, in this time, right now. We have a responsibility right now Because God's grace teaches us that. To put off ungodliness, to put off worldly lust, to pursue sober sobriety, to pursue righteousness, and to pursue godliness. The next thing we see in Titus chapter 2 is that God's grace gives hope. Listen to what it says in verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. If we were told by God, I want you to live a certain way without any reward, without any expectation, without any hope, how, 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 would, how would people respond to that? I mean, they might, be, they might be obedient to him just simply from the fact that he is the creator of the universe, but hope gives us that energy to continue on when we get tired sometimes, right? And so Paul says that God's grace reminds us, it helps us to look forward to the blessed hope of the expectation of Jesus' return. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Spirit. Hope is that earnest expectation that helps us in time of trouble. It helps us whenever we are discouraged. Hope gives us that 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 infusion of power to push us through when we might become discouraged. And so God's grace gives us hope, but it also makes us look forward to the glorious appearing, not just the hope that Jesus is coming, but the expectation that he will come, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many people are looking forward to the coming of Jesus? You don't have to raise your hand, but i got an amen, right? Are we looking forward to... To see in our Savior coming in the clouds, to hear the shout of the archangel, to, see, to hear the blast of the trumpet, to see the sky roll back and the dead raised, and those who are alive caught up together, and to stand before Christ, is that, is that, is that is anybody excited? God's grace gives us that picture to look forward to, and he calls it the glorious appearing it's going to be a glorious appearance. It's going to be something greater than we've ever imagined. You think about the greatest thing that you've ever seen. I don't know what it is. But you picture in your head the greatest thing you've ever seen. And that will be minuscule compared to the coming of Jesus Christ. And God's grace exposes that to us. It reveals that to us. It gives us that hope of, of to look forward to. So someday Jesus will return and gather us to his home in heaven. And we remember that and we look forward to it and we live in hope of that every single day. And then finally, there's those passages up there that I kind of flew through. Matthew chapter 25, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all of His holy angels with Him, then we will sit on the throne of His glory. Let's look forward to seeing Jesus on His throne. Paul writes in the book of Philippians, he says, Therefore God has given Him a name which is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Have you pictured, do you ever picture in your head what that's going to look like? When everybody who's ever lived on this earth, and even those people who are in the grave, and even those people who are, even those created beings, the angels, all are going to bow, and they're going to confess the name of Jesus. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess the name of Jesus Christ. To the glory of God the Father. What a wonderful blessing it is when Jesus returns. And finally we see that God's grace reminds us. I like the idea that God's grace brings salvation. And I like the idea that God's grace has appeared to all men. I love the idea that God's grace teaches us. But I'll just tell you folks, out of all of them, this is my favorite Because God's grace shows me that I have value to Him. Listen to what verse 14 says. Who gave Himself for us. Jesus gave Himself for you. What does that mean to you? In this world that we live in today, there are so many opportunities for people to devalue other people. Think about all the ways in which people show no value for life for other people. The grace of God reveals to us, and it reminds us that we have value. We have intrinsic value, and it's defined by what God did for us, what Jesus did for us. He gave himself for us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18-19. through 19 knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus, of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So first thing God's grace does is it reminds us that we have great value. second thing that it does is it reminds us that we are redeemed from every lawless deed. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. I want, to, I want to encourage you to think about things maybe from a different perspective. We even sang a song Wednesday night or in our singing Friday night that said this. It talks about us being being sinners. And from a certain perspective we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, Right. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one of the blood of Jesus Christ to sin, cleanses us from all sin. But one of the things that the Bible does not teach is, it does not teach that the Christian is a sinner. We've been redeemed. We've been bought back. We've been restored. We've been reconciled. And so that phrase in itself has no application to the child of God. First, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 6 through 13. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, if I can get this to advance here. Well, I just lost my connection. There it goes. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? We don't live that lifestyle anymore, right? Now, we may fall from time to time. We may slip up from time. But that's not the pattern of our life. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, and such were, what? Such were some of you. But you've been washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God of our God we've been bought out of that lifestyle, we don't live that lifestyle anymore we don't have to I may need somebody to go back there and advance that screen because I can't get a hold of it anymore finally we see that uh, there it is he redeemed us from very loss, and he purified for himself. We belong to Jesus. If you go to Ephesians chapter 5, we don't take time to do it because we're running out of time. But if you go to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, you read the picture of Jesus as the husband of the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might purify for himself, that he might, that he might cleanse us, that he might present them to himself, As a bride, a cherished bride, right, without spot or blemish, Jesus died so that we can be purified and belong to Him. Jesus made us His own special people, and this is where it really gets. This hits to my heart right here. He, 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 He bought us so that we could be His own special people. Listen to what He says in verse. um, And purify Him for Himself, His own special people. Zealous for good. What doesn't it make you feel good to know that you're a special person? You know, when we were growing up, um, we used to watch Mr. Rogers. And one one of the things that Mr. Rogers did, as good as anything, he was good at a lot of things, but he made you feel special. As an individual, he made you feel special. It's good to feel special as a group. And Christians, we should, as a church, we should feel special. But I hope that you, that God's grace help you feel special yourself. That you, you yourself have value. God's grace teaches that. He reminds us of that. And because he then reminds us of that, he he helps us then to understand that should stir us up to do something. He purified for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Because we have been purified, because we have been bought back, because we have been made His own special people, we now have an opportunity to share that with other people. Remember, Jesus, in His Sermon on the Mount, He said, uh, Let your light so shine before men, what? That they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. That's why we're here that's your mission statement Christian that's why we're here is to glorify God and we do that by letting our light shine by doing good works we are God's special people we're in particular Jesus' special people All right, we'll go ahead you may have to advance through a few because those slides are going to pop up maybe I can get here there we go closing slide I've ran long, but I like talking about God's grace, so I'm not going to apologize for that. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, teach us about God's grace in a way that we can comprehend and make it practical. God's grace brings salvation. It has appeared to all mankind. That gives us the authority, but also the responsibility to take it and share it with mankind. God's grace teaches us that we're to deny ourselves and we're to live for God. We're to deny ungodliness. And worldly lust we're to live soberly and righteously and godly when now in this present age god's grace helps us to look forward he looks forward to the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great god and savior jesus christ and it reminds us that he gave himself for us that he purified us that he purchased us that he redeemed us that we are his own special people and because of that then we are to be zealous for good works that's what God's grace does for us. That's how we can make it practical today in our lives. I hope that God's grace is practical in your life. I hope it makes a difference in your life on a regular basis, on, a day, on an hourly basis. And in particular, God's grace teaches us how we can be saved. It teaches us that we are to hear the word of God. Romans 10, 10. Faith comes, excuse me, Ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? It teaches us that we are to believe and confess. You back up in that chapter. And in Romans 10.10 10, he says. For the heart one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We have to believe in Jesus Christ. We have to confess that faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And we also have to turn away from our sins and repentance. And be washed in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Whenever Peter and the other apostles preached that gospel message. And people responded to it. They said men and brethren what shall we do? He said repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. Then we've got to live faithful. To let, that, let that grace continue to abound in our lives. Be faithful unto death, Jesus would say to the church uh, in, Roman, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. We have to continue in, that, in, that, uh, in God's grace. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.